Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for keeping us safe through the night, giving us life at all, and now giving us the opportunity to discuss the important work of Sabbath school. Lord, in many of our churches, Sabbath school is ailing, if not dying. But it is our prayer that through our diligent effort and your miraculous power that you would make Sabbath school alive. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get started, I want to make sure that I give you these two resources, uh, digital resources. You notice I don't have any handouts, we don't have a PowerPoint thing, but all of those materials are coming. They're just not to the finished product I can put it in your hand today. But I'm going to show you where you can get good materials starting right now. Okay? The first one, as I mentioned, is the General Conference's Sabbath School and Personal Ministries page, especially when it comes to the Sabbath School Alive initiative. The website for that is alive.adventist.org. Okay? I'll put it on the board here. Alive.adventist. And it's not case sensitive, so I'll just put it in capital so you can see it clearly. This, as I said, is the GC's, the General Conference's, SSPM Sabbath School page. Okay? Now, SSPM, anybody got a guess? Sabbath School Personal Ministries. Sabbath School Personal Ministries. There you go. Now, I know we, one of the things we're saddled with is the world's longest departmental title, the Sabbath School and Personal Ministries. <laughs> so it's not... How do you even come up with a website? And then we have to say, Michigan Conference, Sabbath School, and Personal Ministry. People like, I quit. They won't even type it. So for what we've done in our department is for our website, we've done this. Just the word Michigan and the abbreviation SSPM.org. Okay? So this is the Michigan Conference. Well, <laughs> I'd say it's the Michigan Conference, but it's in the name, so you can see it already. But it's, these are the two websites I'm going to be encouraging you to visit. Okay? Much of the material we discuss is going to be found. In fact, all of the notes from this seminar will be posted on this website. Okay? MichiganSSPM.org. Now, they're not there now, but they will be. Okay? The, much of the material we're going to discuss is already, if you had a little computer right now or smartphone, you could go to alive.adventist.org. Org, and you would get a lot of the information we're going to discuss, okay? Just to let you know that this is not just going to be stuck in the room here. And by the way, I need to pass this around as my... Have I been instructed by those over me? Please just sign in real quick and pass it along throughout the room. Um, yes, yeah, so alive.adventist.org and michigansspm.org. This is the general conference one. This is the local one. Mark Howard and I have exclusive control over this one, so we get to put up what we want and make it what we want it to be. This one, we partner with the General Conference. Now, of course, the person who runs this one is Jim Howard, so Mark Howard and Jim Howard have a connection. You know. So you're going to see some striking similarities. It's like, it looks like these guys are in cahoots. Yes, we are. Uh, and that's a blessing. And in all seriousness, though, this really is a blessing uh, because one of the... You know, obviously, Mark and Jim and I and, and different people had already worked together here in Michigan. And so when he went, it's not like taking away. Both of us view this as adding to the help. It's a help for Michigan Conference because, for instance, when we went to do, 
You'll find on the alive.adventist.org and another one, if you like personal ministries, it's grow.adventist.org. But you'll find all these, and also on our website, we have the same videos posted. But there's these training videos that we got to make. Well, the good thing is, we got to put together the video material and then go to the Hope Channel studios and use their studios and they produced it and everything like that because it's from the general conference department but instead of hiring other employees jim gets to work with us here as basically a research and development lab and we get to use their toys and tools over there and it's a good symbiotic relationship so basically what the world church stuff gets to put together michigan gets to help develop and be on the tip of the spear so it's a really helpful relationship so the lord has blessed in that way so i would encourage both of those sites alive.adventist.org and michigansspm.org. But let's talk a little bit. Today, the burden of our time together today, just so you know, is not to fix Sabbath school. Now, that's the burden of our time this week, but today we want to just do a little diagnosis, right? And try to get an understanding of where we are and how we get here a little bit, okay? Now, I want to start with this. Uh, Councils on Sabbath School Work, page 115. Uh, the abbreviation for that, if you're ever looking up in the Ellen White app or the CD-ROM, is CSW115. And I'll make a little plug right here for that resource. That is a tremendous compilation. If you've never read Councils on Sabbath School work, you are derelict in your duty. You're negligent already. I'm saying This needs to be a prerequisite of anyone who works in Sabbath schools to pick up a copy of that and go through it. Uh, it's good, good material. And we find this on this page, 115, the Sabbath school, comma, if rightly conducted, comma, is one of God's great instrumentalities to bring souls to a knowledge of the truth. Okay? One of God's great instrumentalities to bring souls to a knowledge of the truth. But it does not say that the Sabbath school is that thing. It says the Sabbath school, and then it qualifies it, saying the Sabbath school, if, what was the phrase? Rightly conducted, which implies anytime you have an adjective rightly, or if there's a true something, that means there's also the potential of a false something, right? If there's a rightly, there means there could be a wrongly, okay? So it does not mean just if you have Sabbath school, you're welcome to come in if you want, just closing the door for the sound, come on in, that any old Sabbath school is just going to be great. No, it's not. <laughs> I think that we are living in a time when we see some Sabbath schools that are poorly or wrongly conducted. But the goal is to have Sabbath school rightly conducted. It is one of God's great instrumentalities to bring souls to a knowledge of the truth. Now, currently, in our day today, in many parts of the world field, now we'll pause right here. When I say the world field, and I, I don't want to talk down to anyone, but I, I, I'm always a little bit flummoxed at how many lay people don't conceive of the structure of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, for instance, you understand that the local church is the most basic, uh, close-to-the-ground constituent body, right? Now, that has a relationship to other churches called a sisterhood of churches in a conference, yes? Okay? And then those conferences, like, for instance... Everyone here has a local church in Michigan, except for our, you know, our Alaskans and Ohioans and Virginia. But you have local churches there, too. But here in the Michigan Conference, all this church is probably the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. 
which I always have to say was the first conference in the world church. You know that, but we have to yes. say it every year. Okay. Yeah. All right. But the, 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 even having a general conference, like look at that Michigan conference. What if other states had conferences and all those joined together to make a general conference? Who'd have thunk, right? <laughs> but as it currently stands, you have local church, then you have the local conference, and then a group of conferences together is a union, union. right? Mm -hmm. And all the unions together make up a? Division. Division. Incorrect. They make up the general conference. Divisions are not their own constituent bodies. We do not elect division presidents. We do not have division constituency meetings. There's no division constitution and bylaws. Did you know that? What is a division then? Thank you. Yeah. Let's think it through. What's implied in the word? It's a division of what? Of the general conference. It is simply a geographic zone of the general conference. True story. So, for instance, all division presidents are vice presidents of the general conference. And they're appointed and they're elected at the general conference session to be the supervisors of that territory of the general conference. So that the constituency bodies are general conference, then union, and then local conference. Okay. Anyway, just little things like that. Yeah. I was really going somewhere with that because we're talking about Sabbath school. Um, <laughs> yeah, where were we going? The world church. Yes, the world church. Oh, yes, thank you. Yes. Now, in the North American division, our membership represents what percentage of the world church? Anybody know? In rough terms? 10, 12? Any other guesses? 36. 36? All right, we'll stop the bidding at 36. <laughs> uh, the correct answer is six. Yep. That means that well over 90% of the Seventh-day Adventists of the world do not live in North America. Wow. One out of every three Seventh-day Adventists lives in Africa. The countries that go back and forth for raw numbers of Seventh-day Adventists in one nation. Anybody want to guess the top two that are always jostling for first place? That would be Brazil and India. Fascinating. Let's be clear. U.S., Canada, all of North America is about 6% of the world church. Wow. Okay. Now, now we're not getting into the, the, now the demographics and politics of it, all that kind of stuff. There are all kinds of different variables that go into that. Yes, because the dollar is very strong in the world field, and so an American dollar goes a lot farther than whatever. And that's fair. And there are all kinds of contours and historical balance. But the reality is, we oftentimes think that, man, this is where it's happening, is right here. That's right. And so we might say, oh, Sabbath school is just dying across. No, it's not. It's dying here. But let me tell you something. There are places in the world field where Sabbath school is thriving. There are many parts of the world field where Sabbath school is better attended than the worship service. Okay? In many parts of the world, attendance and participation in Sabbath school exceeds that of every other church function, including the Sabbath worship service. In such areas, Sabbath school is regarded as an ideal opportunity to invite friends and neighbors to learn the truths of God's word and experience the love 
of a united church family. Unfortunately, we don't live in the rest of the world field. This is our field. This is our distinct challenge. That's no longer the norm for much of the developed world in the Western world. And I say developed Western world, and that usually includes North America, Europe, and Australia. Sometimes referred to as the global north, sometimes the first world, or the whatever you want to call it, right? But you add all of those territories up, and it shakes out to about 10-12% of the world church. But, in those places, and Michigan, faithful, good old Michigan, is not immune from this trend. Okay? Is that Sabbath school is dwindling. And I believe we need to breathe new life into the local church Sabbath school program, reviving this vital ministry into the soul-winning agency the Lord intended it to be. So it's our goal to help make Sabbath school alive, right? Now, to be clear, that wasn't always the case. Even in North America, perhaps in the lifetime some people in this room, Sabbath school used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Remember? Oh, it, it, it was... It was it was at least the size of the worship service. When you, came, when you came to church, it implied you were coming to Sabbath school and church, right? That the, the Sabbath day, our corporate convocation, right, started at 9.30 or 9.15 or whatever, and it went till after the sermon. It wasn't seen as, oh, there's Sabbath school, and then there's the worship service, right? I have some pet theories about them. I'll explore them a little bit today. I could be wrong, even though I don't like the thought of that. <laughs> But I believe that there are some reasons why we're seeing that happen. And one of the keys to pulling us out of this ditch is for lay people to recognize their role in leading their local churches. Okay? We'll get into that a little bit. There's a reason that Sabbath school and personal ministries go together. But let's go a little history lesson. How we got here. Just real quickly. In 1852, the very first Sabbath school lessons were written by, anybody got, no? James White White is the correct answer, and published in a new periodical dedicated to the teaching of training in young people. Anybody know the title of that little magazine? The Youth Instructor. One of the very first publications of the Seventh-day Adventist Church was a magazine for young people, right? Quote, uh, in speaking about this, quote, in a little article from the Review and Herald called A Paper for Children, in July 8, 1852, James White explained, we designed publishing a small monthly paper containing matter for the benefit of the youth. The children should have a paper of their own, one that will interest and instruct them. We feel more on this subject than we can express. May God wake up his people to a sense of their duty to those young minds entrusted to their care to guide in the channel of virtue and holiness. All right, while those first lessons were intended, quote, for the benefit of the youth, since there were no lessons at that time, For adults, the youth's instructor became regarded as the general Sabbath school curriculum for all ages, right? Those lessons that he was writing, everybody started studying them. The following year, in 1853, James and Ellen White formed the first Sabbath school class in their Rochester, New York home. So he started writing lessons, started basically inventing. Now, clearly, they came from churches that had Sunday schools, right? But this is before the denomination of Seventh-day Adventists existed. So these were just the Advent believers, Sabbath keepers. And they said, you know what? We need some auxiliary uh, more than just the you know, worship service that you're typically having. So 
Over the next 10 years, many Sabbath school classes were started among the Advent believers using the lessons provided in the youth instructors. It was the de facto quarterly, if you will, at the time. These early Sabbath schools had only two divisions. There was the children's division and the one for the adults called the Bible class. In 1863, the first series of Sabbath school lessons adapted specifically for children were prepared. So not just the youth instructor articles, but they made lessons just for Sabbath school for children. And the same year, the first adult Sabbath school lessons written by Uriah Smith now appeared in the Review and Herald. So that there started to be more of a curriculum for it. Now, that's just the thing you picked up in the youth instructor, but now there was the Sabbath school lessons and there's the adult Sabbath school lessons. And it was still uh, right there at the beginning, opening year of the denomination in 1863. So as long as there has been Seventh-day Adventists officially, we've had Sabbath school as part of that. It wasn't until a few years later, in 1869, that the Sabbath school program itself was given more specific focus and direction. A brother by the name of Goodloe Harper Bell, Goodloe Harper Bell, a pioneer teacher in Battle Creek, Michigan, became editor of the Youth Instructor, and through that, he developed a plan of organization providing for a staff of officers and regular reports of attendance. So this was a curriculum-minded man. He liked structure and organization. He said, Sabbath school, it's nice that you have these lessons, but the whole program, every local church is a little bit willy-nilly. You know, we need some structure. We need to count how many people are there, start at the right time, and have all these, you know, kind of structures there. In 1885, Bell began The Sabbath School Worker, a periodical devoted to supporting and guiding local Sabbath school leaders and teachers in their work. There was a whole publication just for Sabbath school teachers in the 1880s. Under Bell's direction, the number of active Sabbath schools multiplied greatly in the Seventh Adventist Church, growing to more than 800 representing well over 20,000 Sabbath school members. By the end, and we're almost done with this little jaunt down history lesson, but here's what we got. By the end of the 19th century, the Seventh Adventist Church was growing both numerically and geographically, and the scope of Sabbath school expanded too. Okay? It wasn't just to review the things we knew from the Bible lessons, but what could we do with this tool of Sabbath school? People started to kind of expand that vision. Thus, Ellen White could write in 1892 how, quote, the object of Sabbath school work should be the ingathering of souls, right? So it's not just a helpful reminder to the believers we already have of stuff we already know. It was intended to be a mechanism for bringing in new souls to this message, right? But a lot of times, I think we've kind of lost focus on that. For instance, and we'll come to this in a few minutes, but we might as well jump ahead. I don't know, well, I don't know how to ask it or say it, but it sounds wrong to say stop inviting people to church. Of course, we want to invite people to church. But if, if you did invite someone to church, you'd say, hey, why don't you come to church? And they said, great, what time does it start? Most people would say 11 o'clock. We have developed, and I'm going to go into why I think that is, a mindset that the real thing is church and Sabbath school is the parsley on the plate. It's the side dish. It's an optional other thing for a few people who show up early. You know, I'm not saying stop inviting people to church, obviously. What I'm saying is start inviting people to Sabbath school and expect them to stay for church, right? But a lot of times, as we have it now, we don't, it doesn't even cross our mind to invite people to Sabbath school. It's just not even on the radar screen of our thinking. 
So my question is, what happened to our minds? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So is it the fault of the people for not inviting or fault of the Sabbath school for not being inviting? Well, we're gonna, we can get into the lesson curriculum kind of stuff like that, but I would say that you can teach any lesson in such a way that anybody walking off the street can be blessed by it. The Sabbath school, comma, if rightly conducted, you know, got to keep that in mind. Brother, do you have a comment? Yes, or question? I was a beginner Sabbath school class. Okay. Now, let, go ahead, finish your thought. Where those who are being invited, new ones, they come to that classroom, which is more geared toward leading them into a deep That's certainly an option. They make beginners quarterlies, basically, for, you know, for the new believers class type of thing. That's an option. Um, but let's continue on with their thought, right? Because we're going to get into some of these practical ideas, but let's set the philosophical mindset first, okay? Let me finish our history lesson with this thought. Looking back over more than a century of service, the General Conference Sabbath School Department reviewed its history and purpose in 1974, affirming that, quote, the Sabbath School was developed to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ in response to the command of Jesus and in the setting of the three angels' messages. In harmony with this original purpose, Sabbath School continues to communicate the good news with the objective to win, hold, and train for Jesus Christ, men and women, youth, boys and girls, and all the world. Now, I like those three objectives there. To win, what was the second one? Hold and I'm going to have to use a different marker because these do not work at all. Win, there we go. Win, hold, and train. We're going to win them to the truth, hold them in the truth, and train them to give the truth. So there is a more active something in Sabbath school, a richer, broader purpose than merely reviewing things we already know. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm, I don't know if any of you have ever heard my diatribe about settled pastors. Anybody heard me go off on that? I don't want to say go off. It's not just, a, I believe it's a biblical concept. It's not just opinion, but but essentially, in a nutshell, two, I think, fascinating parallel trends have occurred, and I think they're interrelated. When the Seventh-day Adventist Church began, we have statement after statement from pioneers who would say things like, we have no settled pastors. None. Okay? For the first probably 30, 40, at least, maybe 50 years of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, basically no settled pastors. Now, we had pastors, for sure, but their job was to work primarily as evangelists in new field and to train up those Sabbath, I mean, to train up the local people to handle their own churches, and they would go off, right? Kind of the biblical model, right? Paul would go preach a place, raise up believers, set up elders, and get the deacons in order, and then leave. And then he'd come back around and visit, he'd write a letter, that kind of thing, but the local churches kind of tended to themselves. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that's what the t period of our biggest growth and explosive you know, expansion was when we had the fewest pastors. And even now, I would challenge you with this. I've never had anyone, I don't know if they've even gone and done it, but never has anybody contradicted it. And that is, go to the Adventist Research Statistics uh, page. I don't know the exact, but if you Google Adventist Statistics, it'll take you to the right website. Um, and you can look at any two fields. Conference versus conference, union versus union, whatever, okay? And just look at one variable. See how many 
churches each pastor has. Okay? So look at the ratio of churches to pastors, right? And every single time, the territories that have to share pastors more are growing faster. Even today in 2019, regardless of geography or socioeconomic, whatever, language doesn't... The one variable is that. Now, let me be clear. I am a pastor. I love pastors. I work with pastors. I think there's a clear role for pastors, but I believe what has happened is we've seen a trend toward pastor dependency in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And if I can say this carefully, we've begun to imbibe a, just a little drop or two methodologically of the wine of Babylon. Yes. Now, I know we think of the wine of babbling like, oh, we're selling out the faith. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is methodologically and how we operate the church, we've drifted a little towards Catholicism. Yes. In the sense that in many places, they wouldn't say this, but the pastor is regarded as the priest. Yes. How many times when people are sick in the hospital, you could have an elder two deacons and the pathfinders come and visit and pray with you and sing for you and they're still going to be like, I didn't get a visit. Because what they meant is the pastor didn't come. Right? We think of an anointing service as last rites. It's not. We're praying for healing. Not a safe transition to the next world. You know (laughs) know what I'm saying? This is not what we're doing. Now let's go back to that. Remember the attendance thing? Why don't people show up at 11, but they will be at 11.35 or 11.40, 11.45? What happens at that point? Yeah, get past those preliminaries. We're going to come back to that dirty word. I don't like that word. But, <laughs> but that's when the pastor gets up and preaches. And in many cases, the sermon has become a sacrament. What the wafer is on the tongue, the sermon is on the ear. Right, And as long as I am in the room and I hear some sermon, I got church. I can miss the song service, the testimony, the baptism, the Bible study, the, all the other things. And if I get some sermon and I was dressed right for a few minutes and I, I got church. And then we start thinking about evangelism. It's not my job to go win souls. We've got a pastor for that. I pay good tithe dollars for that, right? My job is to pray for and pay for his ministry. We become very pastor dependent. And interestingly, I would love to do a really, really tight study of this, but the trend of increased pastor dependency has mirrored, I'm going to guess, to the year, day, week, month, you know, the decline in Sabbath school participation. Now, why is that? Again, I have some theories, but... In most churches, the pastor doesn't run Sabbath school. A lot of churches, the pastor's not even there for Sabbath school. And I'm not throwing him under the bus. He might have two, three, four churches or more, right? He's not supposed to be at Sabbath school. Who's supposed to lead out in Sabbath school? Lay people, right? But we say, well, that's not a real thing. The pastor's not there. So there's only real church when he's there. And when, when he's... Be- we need... Not just a revival of spiritual life, which we do, but we need a reformation in how we operate the functions of the local church. 
And that's again why I love this department because it's Sabbath school and personal ministries are primarily, if not exclusively, lay-led initiatives in this local church. So, let's go through this a little bit. Um, by the way, the same decline has happened in prayer meeting well. You notice that? Because I talked about the attendance diagnostic. You might have 350 on the books, but 150 in the pew. And then at Sabbath school, it might be, you know, 70, 80 or 90. And then at prayer meeting, it might be 10 to 15, 20, something like that, right? BC. But I have noticed something interesting. We want the benefits of those programs without the participation and attendance in them personally. So what happens is we get to go around to all kinds of fun churches and everything around the conference now. It was interesting when you're a local pastor, people are like, what happens in that church next? I don't know anything about the church. I know the one church I'm in. That's it. Or the two churches. That's everything. But now you get to go around and see. It's like, oh, fascinating. This is how people are doing church. And sometimes it's awesome. And a lot of times, well, sometimes it's awesome. Let's just say that. <laughs> but what I've noticed is, for instance, um, they'll, be the, they'll have praise and prayer requests, right? And it's not just, it used to be the pastoral prayer. We had mentioned someone who's particularly sick or something, let's all kneel for prayer and someone would pray, an elder or the pastor, right? But now we take requests. Do you have any prayer requests? Do you have any praises? Do you have any of this? And we pass the microphone around sometimes. Or have a garden prayer. People go in front. We pray. And there's, I'm not putting prayer, but you know we have an entire meeting each week devoted to prayer. <laughs> right? That's a good point. It is a good point, isn't it not? But we're laughing at that because we know nobody comes to prayer meeting, but you want the benefits of prayer meeting. So where do you put it? In the worship service, the one thing people show up to. We put it in the worship service. And that's why I see our attendance go up on the week that pastors there in town on the week he's gone. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. Yeah. Also, all the announcements have to be in the worship service now because we don't want to say something at Sabbath school because nobody's going to be there to hear it. Any personal ministries training, any special testimonies, any special features, any baptism, any special things, anything we want people to actually hear, put it in the worship service. And hopefully later in the worship service, if you can get it right, an announcement right before he preaches, oh, that's going to hit everybody. Because we know that's the only thing people show up to, right? We have to get away from this thinking that the worship service is the grand one-stop shop of everything when church is supposed to be a life of the members, right? You look at the early church in Acts chapter 2. It didn't say those new converts met weekly. It said continuing daily in the temple, right? And breaking bread from house to house. There was, there was small group. There was accountability. There was prayer. There was outreach. There was Bible study. And the idea of like, oh, we're only going to go. And who's preaching? It? By the way, Mrs. White has some very strong comments. She said our church members should not expect a sermon every Sabbath. And already, I can promise you, some in this room are already thinking, like, what if we didn't have a the sermon, what's the, <laughs> what's the point of even, you know what I'm saying? That We have come to think of that, that's our Eucharist. We have to have it or it's not even church. We can have testimony time instead of a sermon. Trust me, sister, we're coming to it. <laughs> but yes, we have to think like, what would church be like if the pastor weren't there and he were preaching a sermon? What? Friends, there are some unique, distinctive features, especially in the Sabbath school and yes, in the prayer meeting and the worship, that if you miss any one of them, you missed something, Right? The worship service is now considered by many to be a one-stop shop for all church functions. Instead of attending prayer meeting, we have extended prayer times in the worship service. Similarly, all announcements, testimonies, baptisms, etc. are now placed in the worship service because that's the only thing people come to. I'd love to see an experiment sometime. Do a baptism in the Sabbath school. 
And people say, hey, did you see the baptism? Like, what? Oh, oh, you weren't at sat. Mm, it's too bad. <laughs> For, by the way, that's my first tangible recommendation is we need to change our attitude and posture towards Sabbath school. Yes, I agree. Put the good stuff where it belongs and let people miss out if they miss it. Pastors are regarded as priests, sermons, or sacraments, etc. So we, yes, we need to change our posture about Sabbath school. We need to recognize that Sabbath school is half of the entire church experience each week. Okay? Typically, uh, the schedule goes something like this, right? You have, and it, it, obviously it's different for all, um, I can just move this. Am I a victim of this screen? I run this place, not this screen. Let's see. There we go. Typically, and I, 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 clearly, you, you have different church districts and different you know, constraints or whatnot. But typically, Sabbath school starts around 9.30, and goes to roughly, let's say, 11, and the worship service goes from 11 to roughly 12.30. Is that generally true? Okay, pretty much, right? You're like, our starts at 9.15, it goes to 10. Okay, but you see what I'm saying. Then in general terms, the morning is made up from 9.30 to 12.30. It's roughly a three-hour block, and exactly half of it is Sabbath school. And then we have Sabbath school, and then we have the worship service. These need to be seen as two distinct functions, but one harmonious whole, okay? Or two sides of a single coin, right? But oftentimes it's seen as this is required and this one is optional. It must not be viewed that way even by the Sabbath school leadership. It must be assumed that this is what we're about here. It's going to be part of our discussion to the board. We're going to make this a priority. We're going to put the good stuff there. We're not going to play this game of trying to chase people. Let them chase us a little bit. Anyway. I think it's interesting that you're making a, a correlation between Catholicism and because I came out of the Catholic Church. Okay. And at the Catholic Church, every, every Sunday you go to church from 11 to 12, and that was what you did. Yep. So when I came here in Adventist, Sabbath school was like, what? What is this other thing? Yeah. It's just not... It's not that important. So I missed all those, all those years of Sabbath school. So I missed my free Adventist education because I was come out of the Catholic Church. Mercy. The Catholic mindset. Mercy. Unfortunately. Yes. Yes. To be clear, very pro-Catholic individuals. Just the structure of Catholicism and a mindset is not a biblical framework, right? That we need to make sure we're based on the scripture for everything that we do. But you're right. You're, you miss something. And, and that's the thing. For instance, if, um, you know, I kind of made the thing about baptism, but I... And I'm, I'm kind of half-joking when I say, but I'd love to see a church sometime just do an experiment and, and like, uh, when the, the morning bell or the opening prayer or the opening song or whatever song, the start of Sabbath school begins, that everyone who's there gets a $100 bill. Don't change anything else about your program. Just give them a $100 bill. What would happen? What, what would happen? But really, I, I thought people were too tired. <laughs> Not for money, huh? you get people talking for sure. You think they'd mention it? Yeah, maybe. Do you think people like mention like, dude, you should have seen a Sabbath school. What happened? Yeah. I'm not kidding. A hundred Benjamins happened today. You know, this is great. And they're like, whoa, that's a, well, you should have been there. You missed something, right? What's sad is if we put it in terms of money, everybody gets, we value money, right? But if you made it about a testimony or personal ministries training or baptism or any other thing, you know, but 
I use that illustration because I've used that illustration too when it comes to like giving Bible studies because in the personal ministries, we challenge every member to be giving Bible studies. And one of the excuses you hear a lot is I don't have time for that. My schedule is so busy. I don't. Okay. But let's say that it takes you two hours a week, an hour to prepare and execute and then come back, you know, say two hour block of time every week to give a Bible study. You say, oh, my life is crazy busy right now. Okay. But if you had that same neighbor, instead of giving them Bible studies, they were very wealthy and had a palatial home and they they had to be away each week for a couple hours, but they don't want their house to be unattended at all. They're very particular about this. And they come to you as a good neighbor and say, would you be willing to house sit for us for two hours a week and we'll give you $500 an hour? So that's $1,000 a week for that same block of time. What would happen to your schedule? Like Moses before the Red Sea. Like, <laughs> it's a miracle. Oh, look at the free. Because we value that now, yes, right? right? We have to start speaking in real terms. The reason people are late to stuff is because they don't care enough about it to be there. Yeah, that's right. They don't value it enough to make it worth their time to make an alarm clock or take their shower, get their breakfast ready, get the call. Whatever the arrangements need to do to make that a priority, it's just not there. Now, I think that's in part their fault because I don't care if it's a sloppy mess. You should go. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we have some responsibility as Sabbath school leaders to make it valuable. Right. right? To incentivize it, not through tricks and games and payoffs and stuff, but through a deep, abiding, spiritual, um, what Mrs. White calls it intensely interesting. Let me, let me read you a statement about this. Um, she's found, this is found in Christian Service, page 211. She writes, Our meetings should be made intensely interesting. They should be pervaded with the very atmosphere of heaven. Let there be no long, dry speeches, and formal prayers merely for the sake of occupying the time. We'll come back to that, but does that... I'll just tell you, I've been in some Sabbath schools where in all honesty, I can see why people wouldn't come. Long, dry, formal speech. Oh, the superintendent's... From, now, I love superintendents, and I think they should say some things. But just getting up and reading a scripted chicken soup for the soul type of thing, people don't want to hear that. They don't care. That's not worth coming to. Right? And just, and why are we doing it? Well, it's my turn. We're just going through the rounds of hollow ceremony. We're just filling out the form. We're serving time. We're just getting through it. Right? That's not good enough. Now, to be clear, she never says you should be highly entertaining. She never advocates for church or any religious meeting to be entertaining, but she always says it should be intensely interesting. Now, there's a distinction there that I think we need to maintain. Anyway, she said, all should be ready to act their part with promptness, and when their duty is done, the meeting should be closed. Get up, have something fascinating to say, move on, have a pace to it, make it interesting, and then be done. Thus, the interest will be kept up to the last. This is offering to God acceptable worship. His service should be made interesting and attractive and not be allowed to degenerate into a dry form. Now, so I think as we look at this kind of diagnostic, and we'll, I, I promise we'll leave a little time for comment. I meant to do that, but the, there's plenty of fault to go around. Should church members value Sabbath school enough to get there? Yes. 
Should the Sabbath school leaders value it enough to make it good? Yes, of course. There, there, is it the program itself? Should we look at the curriculum and structure? Yes, we should look at that too. Is it a spiritual thing? Of course it is. So there's multiple areas that we can do. And each of your Sabbath schools might suffer from a different thing. They may be ailing in a different way. Maybe you do have superintendent marks that are dull, or maybe you don't have them at all, and you need to revive a mission program and have something to talk about. By the way, we didn't even talk about mission. But did you know that there are... Let me, let me close with this. The Sabbath school has three distinctive features that are unique to the Sabbath school program that are found basically nowhere else in the life of the church. Okay? First of all, it's foundation... Put a little alliteration with this. Foundation is Bible study and prayer. The largest chunk of your time in the Sabbath school program is in the lesson study or the Bible study classes, right? That's the largest time element, right? And that's the foundation, the study of God's word. That's why James White was starting to write those out. We want people to be grounded in the word of God. I happen to think that one of the reasons people don't go to Bible study and prayer is because, well, I'm going to get a sermon during church and they'll study the Bible for me and just tell me what to think. But this is not like this. this is, there's a difference between listening to someone else preach about something they studied and having an interactive discussion about the things that you have studied. Right? There is a unique component to the Sabbath school that you don't find in the rest of the church service. And if you skip it, you've missed something. Right? So the foundation is always going to be Bible study and prayer. But, however, more than that, we have to have a focus on mission. Did you re realize that the Sabbath school offering, the Sabbath school mission offering, is the one collection of funds in the whole Seventh Adventist Church that goes exclusively toward mission? I'll give you some startling statistics about mission giving in our last century. But let me tell you something. You probably know it's down and not up. And not just like trending down, it is cavernous, precipitously like bottom of the earth low. I, I don't have it, I'll share it with you later on, but I, I don't want to give it away too much. But anyway, mission giving. Also, hearing mission reports, do you, do you ever remember like, this is mission spotlight, yes. right? I remember as a little boy, I would listen to those stories and watch those little films and hear about you know, the miracle truck that God kept working after it run out of gasoline or the, or the person who was sick and they got better or the baptism, all the mission pilots and all this kind of stuff. Young and old, all members of the church need to have that missionary mindset. We need to be encouraged by amazing reports. And in this day and age, it's not just we get reel-to-reel -reel things sent to us every quarter or something. There are, every single week, the General Conference gives us a nice, like, four-minute mission spotlight video that you can show in your church. You can have a fresh weekly mission report in every local church. I'm saying, <laughs> there's good stuff, so we're here to share. But that should be a part of it. By the way, mission is not just global. One of my big concerns is we see the faraway tribes at the islands of the sea or the deep, dark jungles of somewhere, right? We think, oh, that's what a missionary is, when the reality is there's mission work to do here. Right. And we need to hear local testimonies of how God is working even here. I don't want you to think that, well, God's working over there somewhere. My only job is to pay for and pray for them. No, our work is to do work here, right? So we need to hear conference-wide testimonies of what it looks like in our territory. And finally, the mission also includes personal ministry. We need to be training people 
to be effective soul winners in their own hometown, in their own lives, in their own uh, context, right? All of those three mission elements are only found in the Sabbath school program. Reports and funding for global mission, reports of what's happening in our local territory, and training for personal ministry is supposed to happen in the Sabbath school time. So the third one is personal ministry. Oh yeah, global, local, and personal. Okay. We're going to go through this. I'm just giving you an overview. We're going to dive into each of those elements we're going to spend a day on coming up, okay? But for right now, I want you to realize that the three distinct components of Sabbath school is its foundation Bible study prayer, its focus on mission, and the unsung hero of the group, its format, which is small groups. That small group dynamic has a power that is untapped in many of our churches today. How come it is that we can have 350 members on the book and only 150 attend? That means there's 200 people that are listed as members of our church and we don't know where they are. We, in some cases, we don't know who they are. Last church I was at, we, we literally printed names in the bullets and say, hey, has anybody even heard of these people? And I'm not trying to just clean the books and get rid of people. I'm just saying, look, if they've died or moved away or, or have apostatized, we need to know that. We, but there's so little accountability. We'll get into this a little later too, because like I said, we're going to go through each of these three distinctive features in our upcoming three days. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Bible study and prayer, how to make that portion of it very good and why it's so important. Then we'll look at mission and on and on and on. But I'll tell you, this small group thing, um, I'll just save it for them. Save it for them. Doesn't matter. We need to move on. All right. These are the three distinctive features that are found. You don't have that small group dynamic in the worship service. You don't have that mission focus in the worship service. And you don't have that time for the interactive Bible study and deep, you know, personal connection with the Word of God. Now, there's other things that you do in the worship service you don't do in the Sabbath school, right? There's a lot more collective singing. You have collective prayer time. You do have a sermon or a You have other distinctive things in the worship service. But a lot of times, our Sabbath schools, if they do a full service, it's like a miniature watered-down worship service. and It's just like an off-brand and it's not really that good. It's lost its distinctive flavor. And I cannot blame people saying, why do we even have a preliminary prayer? Why do we even have a plenary program? Why do we even have pre- uh, this, this upfront? Like, let's just go straight to the Bible classes, right? A lot of churches, you walk in and, you just, and they've gotten rid of the mission, gotten rid of the Bible, uh, gotten rid of the mission focus altogether, and you just go to the Bible study prayer. So we're missing some things, right? I think we need to repair it and make it what it's supposed to be. Anyway, we have four minutes left, and I don't want to talk the whole time Give me some thoughts. Give me feedback. Any questions, comments, or concerns you might have? Just what's striking you so far? Yes, ma'am. What's striking me so far is I am uh, nobody from nowhere, and I've been asked to be the Sapsville superintendent this year. Okay, so you're thrilled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything how to do it. See, I'm in the same boat, exactly. Yeah, I'm okay. nobody from nowhere. Don't I have no education. I'm mm-hmm. just a big nobody. And I've been asked to be Sapsville superintendent. i got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Okay. So you're looking for practical, what's this going to look like when we go back and put this into play? Okay, thank you. And, and the person who I'm stepping into the shoes of is highly educated, been the dean of 
everybody over uh, in California everywhere. I mean, she's been... Well, the no by the way, the nominating committee must have thought you were a little something of nobody. I mean, a little more than nobody. You know, it's like, if, if you told us, like, are you sure? I'm nobody. I, I've got no name. I got no... They might have reconsidered. <laughs> I know that you're not supposed to say no when they ask you to do something. <laughs> Boy, that was a tough nominee. You know it's a tough nominee. I mean, when they're looking around a room, it's like, oh, I don't know, how about you? You want to do you know, I'm just kidding. That's not how that works. But, um, <laughs> but yes, how many of you are in the position like, all right, I am the leader of a Sabbath school either class or the whole superintendent of the Sabbath school program? Well, let me, let me, how many Sabbath school superintendents? Like, you're over the whole program. All right, you've come to the right place. That's good. Uh, how many are here just because they're a Sabbath school teacher? Excellent. Okay. So you're especially going to, all of it has practical application for all of you. Okay. But that's what we're looking at. Good, 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 good. All right. Thank you for that comment. Any other comments, questions? Hopefully we've been interesting enough that you'll come back tomorrow and we'll start putting some flesh on some of these philosophies, right? Because right now we're just talking history, what Sabbath should be, what it used to be, and what we'd like it to be. But the next thing is how do we start moving the needle to get it there? Right? So tomorrow we're going to come back. We're going to look at that biggest chunk of the Sabbath school program, which is the Bible study and prayer, why it's so important, what it can do for people, and how we can do it well. Other than that, I think our time is wrapping up. So I'm going to bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to discuss the work of the Sabbath school. Please bless these superintendents, these teachers, these local lay leaders, that they can go back to their own congregations and start to Stir up love and good works. Lord, we would ask that you do a mighty miracle. We know that in many places the Sabbath school has been languishing for quite some time. But we read in the Bible that you can raise even the dead to new life. So we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Take our humble efforts and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. For we ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.